Well, listeners, as you have tuned in to Table Talk with Mark, we are going to enter into the questions and answers section of this morning's show. Um, What a joy to be with you. I I really enjoyed last week, by the way. So many questions and answers. Uh, You guys were very responsive. And even questions on the answers and clarifications. Really, really enjoyed it. So thank you so much to everyone who engaged so well last week. Uh, There's at least one question which I tied over to this week. It came in from Joey and it was related to the Jewish feast of Rosh Hashanah, the new year. We're going to just talk about that very briefly to kick the questions and answers off. Let me just say, Linda Yobe, who says good morning from beautiful Montague. It's great to have you with us, Linda. If you're listening into the show right now love to hear who you are love to hear where you're from love to hear the local church where you participate in worship and where you serve you can just type that into the comments on Facebook our Facebook page is Radio Pulpit Radio Console Uh, I'll see those uh, in studio and be able to give a shout out to you Um, but it's always great to know who I'm speaking to Uh, you can also engage with me and send in information uh, on WhatsApp our WhatsApp number is 0826572729 and I will be putting in both the WhatsApp number as well as the studio line that you can actually call in and engage um, with us um, directly into the show notes on Facebook right now. So if you're looking for those numbers, uh, you can go uh, to Facebook and you can go to the Radio Pulpit Facebook page, you can go to Pastor Mark Penrith, or you can go to Central Baptist Church Pretoria. And on all of those locations, you can find the various different numbers that you can use to interact and engage um, with the show this morning. You can also find, um, uh, on obviously, if you go into Facebook, you can just type in a question and uh, we get those questions right here live in studio um, great talking to you so let me just read out um, Joey's question which came in last week and again thank you so much for it Joey she said good morning will explain to us uh, will you explain to us the meaning of the Jewish feast of Rosh Hashanah the new year in relation to the end times and thank you Joey um, what a fascinating read it was um, going and just checking out a little bit more about the Jewish new year uh, plenty that I didn't know about it and so appreciated the question and appreciated the opportunity that it gave me uh, just to do a bit of research um, one of the appointed feasts of the Lord in the uh, Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, is known as uh, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, it's literally the head of the new year. And uh, we read about it in Leviticus 23, 23 to 25. I'm reading from the ESV. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets, um, a holy convocation. And you shall Observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial. Uh, you shall uh, not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering uh, to the Lord. Um, the the day is known as uh, I hope us well. It's the day of trumpets, and it really means to shout and make a noise. It's a holiday which is marked by the blowing of the shofar, um, the ram's horn, uh, in Jewish synagogues and around the world. Um, it begins with a ten day 
period leading up to the holiest of days on the Jewish calendar, which is Yom Yom Kippur. Um, and uh, those 10 days are intended to be a, a time of introspection. Now, there's a bit of rabbinic tradition which is associated with those 10 days, which is, I think, where we get the touch point um, for the question which is related to end times. Um, the idea is that the righteous uh, during this time are written into the, the book of life, the, the, the wicked, sorry, are written into the book of death, um, but most people aren't written into either book. This is the rabbinic tradition and are given 10 days until uh, Yom Kippur to exercise repentance and self-examination and seal their fate. And then on the Day of Atonement, everyone has his or her name inscribed into one of those two books. Well, that really relates quite tidily um, to Revelation 2015. Revelation 2015, of course, is connected to the great white throne judgment. I'm just turning my Bible um, to the book of Revelation chapter 20. I love this passage. Um, It's the only passage in Scripture which I... um, preached uh, extemporaneously um one sunday i'd been reading through it it had captured my heart and uh and and one sunday i i, I preached uh, this passage of scripture um without a without a manuscript or, or written notes um and i so enjoyed the proclamation of god's word from revelation 20 verse 11 to 15 that was about five or six years ago now let me read the text to you it says then i saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them and i saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened and then another book was opened which is the book of life And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I, I just want to briefly exegete um, the, the, this, uh, this text from Revelations chapter 20 because it's such a beautiful text. Uh, you have this picture of this great white throne. Uh, this is judgment day. This is the end of time. This is it. <laughs> this is the moment where the living and the dead will be judged. And there's one seated on the throne. Now, the one seated on the throne is not explicitly named yet, but we know that that is Jesus Christ. We read the book of John uh, cover to cover and many times Jesus speaks of judgment having been handed over to him by the father and so the person on the throne is jesus christ not jesus as a babe meek and mild this is jesus the glorified risen resurrected ascended king of the universe king of kings and lord of lords and this is judgment day jesus christ is now judging between the living and the dead and even the sight of him is so fearful that those who have been raised for this judgment seek to flee his 
presence and yet they are caused to stand man women and child each and every single one of them stands in the presence of the fearful holiness and righteousness and justice of almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ the judge of the living and the dead it is a fearsome picture it is a fierce picture it is a scary picture that word scary the greek word phobos is a word which is quite common throughout all of the new testament this idea that we are to fear the lord obviously believers um, we are to give him appropriate awe and respect but for those who are unbelievers on this day in particular there will be great fear for jesus christ because in him is the power to condemn forever and ever those who are found to be with guilty uh, to be guilty and so we read in verse 12 the second half of verse 12 that there are books um, books have been opened and we understand even though it's not written in this context that the books are invariably the books of works and um, people will appeal to what they have done saying Lord Lord didn't we do this that and the next thing in your name didn't we raise up the dead didn't we cast out demons didn't we heal didn't we feed the sick look at all the good things that we did we gave to the church and we helped old ladies across the road and we took care of dogs or whatever people do to make themselves feel good about themselves on that day people will scour the books of works looking for reasons why they should be found acceptable in the sight of a holy God and yet each and every single one of them as they look through that book will come up short because in truth all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death it will be a terrifying day as those who thought that they were good enough for heaven in this life find that they have fallen short of the glory of God in the next it will be an awesome day when the power of God is displayed in all the earth it will be a terrible day it's described as such and um, both in the old testament and in the new testament very often when judgment day is described it's described in the kinds of words which include the the weeping and the gnashing of teeth um, uh, the fear of the people in it I, I recently actually it wasn't so recent anymore I, I read through the book of zephaniah zephaniah is a book um, talking about the great and terrible day the great and awesome day of the lord and it's a terrifying book as you read through zephaniah until you get to the the last chapters where it's the last chapter where it speaks about a, a new kingdom in reality one just realizes that the world in this moment is going to be found to have been short um, is going to have be found to have been without excuse and without any hope of salvation as they look in the books of works there's another book and it's spoken about in verse 12 it's described and it's opened and it's called the book of life then the description is that no one escapes this judgment the sea gives up its dead death and hades give up its dead and everyone is judged each of them according to what they have done according to what they had done each will be judged according to their works yes they will hold good works up but in reality everyone will be demonstrably shown to have fallen short of the glory of God one wonders if there is any hope at all 
for man on that day and this is where we connect to the Jewish New Year because you'll remember on that Jewish New Year the rabbinic teaching was that there were these two books the book of death and the book of life and uh, and people were to examine themselves over a 10 day period as you came to that holy day um, Yom Kippur and, uh, and the hope is that they would repent of their sins and find that their names were then written in the book of life well that's the picture as we look at Revelation chapter 20 because death and Hades or everyone each of them um, were thrown into the lake of fire it's the second death the lake of fire verse 14 and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire now it becomes important to know how then can my name be written in the book of life well the names written in the book of life friends are written in in blood Um, metaphorically speaking the lamb's blood Jesus came into this world and he lived a perfect life the life that you and I could never live and he died on a cross not for his sins the reality is each one of us dies because of the curse of Adam but Jesus Christ lived a perfect life he was untainted by sin tested in every way and yet to be found to be guiltless Um, and yet he died he did not die for his sin he died as a substitute the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world he died that you and I might live that judge who seated on the great white throne he laid down his life that those who put their faith and their trust in him might live forever and ever it's a it's a magnificent thought it's a wonderful thought uh, it, it's it's a it's an amazing thought that God Emmanuel um, God with us the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world might take away my sin and cast it as far away as the east is from the west that as God looks upon me he might not see mark a dreadful sinner um, even his good works standing as filthy rags before his glorious throne he might see his own son Jesus Christ the Lamb of God friends names that are written in the Lamb's book of life are written in the blood of the Lamb and the way that we access this salvation is made clear the gospel message is to be proclaimed to all men that Jesus died for our sins and then he rose in victory over the death and then all men everywhere is called upon to repent to turn away from their sins and put themselves cast themselves upon the finished work of Jesus Christ confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will live that's the that's the gospel proclamation and that's the call in terms of the gospel response thank you Joey for your question because it reminds us that there are these two books at least the rabbinic teaching around the Jewish New Year now whether or not these events transpire on the Jewish New Year or not I don't know I don't think scripture gives us enough information to make that call definitively but it certainly does set us up very well to have this conversation about what we do know because it's revealed in God's word in Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 to 15 that there is a coming judgment that Jesus Christ is the coming judge 
that there are two books, a book of works and a book of life, and that the only way that we will escape the judgment is if our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so even now, right now, the call on our lives is to repent and cast ourselves upon the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that is a magnificent um, message to those who are unsaved. If you're unsaved right now, and uh, I see that there are a number of people um, engaging and interacting, Elizabeth, I see your comments. Um, um, and uh, Nikki Luff, good morning, uh, fam, uh, see your comments as well. Um, there's a number of people that are listening in that that may not be saved. If you're listening in and you're hearing about Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 to 15 and you're unsaved, well then my friend, today might be the day of your salvation. The call on your life is to confess your sins, to turn away. That's a change of mind and to cast yourself down upon the person of Jesus Christ at the foot of his cross and put your faith and your trust in his finished work. But that message is also for believers. When, when I read that message, I'm encouraged. You know why I'm encouraged <laughs> because the names written in the Lamb's Book of Life were written there before the foundation of the world. It gives, gives me great encouragement that I didn't write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. It reminds me that I did not save myself by my own cleverness or by my own good works. No, I was saved by another. I was saved by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if Jesus saved me, Jesus will keep me to the end of days. Um, this passage of scripture gives me great hope and assurance that the salvation which he has begun in me, he will see through to the day of completion. It means I don't have to fear the coming judgment which is to come. I, I can rather with all of God's people through every age declare together with them uh, the closing words of revelation. Come Lord Jesus, come Maranatha, come, come today. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you. But if you should tarry even but for a while, the believer in his heart resolves to preaching this good news of the gospel to the four corners of the world. Friends, we need to, with an element of urgency, proclaim the gospel message because there is a judgment which is coming and it's coming on our family and our friends and our co-workers and those that we engage with and interact with who have not yet believed in Jesus Christ. And so... Um, uh, I would I would encourage you to um, pursue um, to pursue to 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 proclaim at every opportunity that you get the gospel message of Jesus Christ in whatever way you can um, using whatever mechanism you may um, this should be the, the 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 chief concern of our hearts this should be the chief concern of our our, our tensions and our efforts this should be how we spend our disposable income at the promotion and the proclamation of God's word that the elect might hear and come in and be saved and that Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior might receive much glory got a question that comes in from an anonymous um, uh, an anonymous interaction um, and the question really simply is who has the keys to heaven and hell um, the question is um, uh, is around um, uh, 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 who has the key 
the keys of heaven and hell. Now, the keys of heaven and hell are spoken about in a number of different places. I'm going to speak about them from two perspectives. And the reason why I'm going to speak about them from two, two perspectives is, um, is because uh, Scripture speaks about them both in Revelation um, in particular. That's the one source that I'm going to go to. And then in the book of Matthew, that's the second source that I'm going to go to. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, we'll get to that shortly. But in Revelation chapter 1, we get this picture of keys and it's it's an amazing picture i love that we're in revelation a little bit today um looking at uh, eschatology things that are to come um in terms of revelation chapter 20 but right now we're looking at things that are um uh, in revelation chapter one uh, an apostle named john has a vision now john is just a He's a magnificent guy. At this stage, he is on an island of Patmos. He has been exiled there. He is having to undergo hard labor. He's having a tough, tough life. He is suffering for the things of Christ in, in, in quite extraordinary ways. And, and yet, this writer of the Gospels, and yeah, the writer of the book of Revelation, he gets given a peculiar, in this case, revelation, a peculiar vision of Jesus Christ. Um, this revelation um, and the whole word, word revelation is that we might see, that we might understand. It's, it's an idea of unveiling. Um, he's unveiling certain truths to us about the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and um, in the book of Revelation, in verse uh, 9, he says that I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and that he hears behind him a voice. But the voice is unusual. It's like a trumpet in verse 10. And he says, this voice, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus and Simra and Pergamum and Tyathira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea and by the way those are the seven churches that we then have um, very brief letters from the person of Jesus Christ recorded by John in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. We then read in verse 12 of Revelation chapter 1 then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands now those are very clearly the seven churches that's revealed toward the end of the chapter and in the midst of the lampstand was one like a son of man now that 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 word son of man is actually a technical word um, it is a um, uh, it's a fantastic word it's, it's, it's taken from Daniel and uh, the word relates to images that Daniel sees images of deity and one described like a son of man it's images of Jesus Christ and yet the person that John sees is Jesus Christ and he sees him clothed that gets revealed a little bit later clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest I mean just like images of glory and the hairs on his head were white like wool like snow we actually get a description of what the resurrected and what the glorified Jesus Christ looks like yeah this is the transfigured Christ this is this is Jesus in all his glory and all his majesty um, we, we read that his eyes were like a flame of fire and that his feet were 
burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters this is powerful Christ this isn't Jesus Christ meek and mild babe of Bethlehem this is Jesus Christ lion of the tribe of Judah whose kingdom will have no ends in his right hand he held seven stars from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength I mean bottom line is as you go through the book of Revelation you realize that John doesn't have the words to describe everything that he's seeing he's seeing these images and metaphors and pictures and he's doing the best he can to describe to us Um, but but really get a sense of the glory of Jesus Christ get a sense of the awesomeness of Jesus Christ the magnificence of Jesus Christ John says in verse 17 when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead but he laid his right hand on me saying fear not I'm the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. By the way, um, that was revealed at the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, this idea of Alpha and Omega. In verse 8, it said, I'm the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God. That's um, Kyrion Theos. That's uh, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, who is and who was and who was to come, the Almighty. And now Jesus Christ puts his hand on John and says, Hey, listen here, don't be afraid. Phobos not. I'm the first and the last. And the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I mean, guys, we have the gospel again. <laughs> this has been a, a gospel rich morning. I, I mean, I love Jesus. I love the fact that my Lord, my Savior, my God laid down his life of his own free choice that I might live and that death could not hold him, hell could not keep him, Satan had no call over him but that he rose from the grave with the mighty triumph over his foes and um, the hymn might say anyway get a little bit sidetracked but Jesus is amazing um, and uh, he says I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades who has the keys whoever asked the question well the answer is Jesus has the keys he has the keys of death and Hades and in this context it would seem that Jesus has the power over death and that is great because as you go to Revelation chapter 20 the end of the story it is Jesus Christ who is the judge of the living and the dead and sends people to death and to Hades Uh, and so isn't that interesting how the beginning of the book and the end of the book dovetail and the hero of the book is made clear the person of Jesus Christ the savior and redeemer in chapter one the judge and uh, king of kings and lord of lords uh, in chapter 19 and chapter 20 and chapter 21 it says as for the mystery of the oh uh, and right there for the things that you have seen those that are and those that are to take place after this uh, verse 19 then becomes the the really kind of um uh, the way that that I understand Revelation at, at least that um, it talks about things that are um, that, that you have seen that's this particular vision right now uh, things that are that's the letters to the seven churches things that that are true right then those seven churches really existed and really were going through the issues that 
that that we see written in them i don't take those as being epochs or ages of the church i take them as literal letters to literal churches and then the things that are to take place after this uh, this is future things i would see the rest of the book of uh, revelation certainly after verse uh, uh, the, the 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 visions of um, of heaven in chapters 5 and 6 uh, the rest of the book of Revelation is things that are to come things that are uh, are prophetic in nature um, apocalyptic for certain but prophetic in nature as I'm reading through this uh, it goes on in verse 20 and says as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my hand and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches that word angels angelos I, I think can well be and probably Probably um, ought to be translated, not translated, but uh, interpreted as the leaders of those churches. It could be that it's the angels of the leaders of those churches that comes with a, a couple of difficulties in terms of interpretive concerns. I, I take them as the leaders of those churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches which then basically just explains what that whole passage is about. But just to kind of reel it in and backtrack to the question uh, who has the keys? The answer is Jesus has the keys of death and Hades. He has the keys. He is all powerful, almighty. He is the um, heir of the universe we read about that in those great chapters in chapters 5 and, and 6 he is the heir to the throne he is almighty the lamb of God that was slain in the line of the tribe of Judah and he has the keys to death and to Hades um, don't try and rip the keys out of Christ's hands he will not allow that there is another passage which speaks of keys and so I just want to make sure that I give a comprehensive uh, uh, teaching on this um, I think I said uh, chapter 19 of the book of Matthew earlier but it's actually chapter 18 that I, I meant to refer to um, and um, in uh, uh, I'm just looking for the passage that I am seeking is on uh, it's on church discipline it is Matthew um, chapters I'm just reading as quickly as I can here uh, Matthew chapter 18 um, uh, sins against you um, if your brother sins against you Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 let me read this passage to you Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 if your brother sins against you Go and tell him his your uh, go and tell him his fault. Okay, so now we get the context of Matthew chapter eighteen. It's a it's a brother who sins against you. Uh, go tell him his fault between uh, it's between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuse to listen to even the church tell him um, uh, tell him uh, to be, uh, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector and truly I say to you whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven again I say to you if two or three agree on anything on earth uh, about anything uh, it will be done for them by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name there I am among them um, actually uh, there's no talk of keys there and I don't want to confuse the matter the, the bottom line is as we go to Revelation chapter 1 
we see that uh, he who has the keys is the person of Jesus Christ. As we go to Matthew chapter 18, which is often um, spoken about in terms of the authority that we have as believers, it talks about binding and loosing um, that which is in heaven, uh, loosed on that which is on earth. Um, And that's really talking about the authority that the assembled church has within the context of church discipline. Maybe just to emphasize that because there's some confusion often around that particular question uh, around that particular text um i see that there are questions in from scott um there is a thank you from joey regarding the explanation so much detail in context praise the lord and many blessings to you joey well thanks for your question joey Uh, it really did encourage me I, i was very grateful to hear it um from marlene good morning pastor mark Praise God for the book of Revelation. So exciting in the times we are living. So Marlene, um, maybe just to say, so exciting in the times that we are living. I agree with you. Revelation is a very exciting book. It's a, it's a massively exciting book. I'll tell you why it's an exciting book. Because at the beginning, you see Jesus Christ big and glorified. Um, you see him in his transfigured and transcendent glory. And even his best friend, the, the, the man who described himself as the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple, the beloved disciple, even John can't, can't hold himself and and falls down at the feet of Jesus like a dead man because Jesus is so is presented as so awesome and so powerful and as you get to the end of the book I mean the the whole book should be titled Return of the King now Return of the King I think might be the third book in the Tolkien series that's okay (laughs) I think Tolkien borrowed fairly heavily from what he knew from the world around him uh, but this idea of the king of kings and the lord of lords the, the 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 rightful heir to the throne of david that jesus christ who ascended into heaven is seated at the right hand of the father who's making intercessions even now for us and who will soon come again to judge the living and the dead um that that he has made awesome and great in the book of revelation shouldn't surprise us because he is awesome and great he is god he is the son of god he is he is one with god and the book of revelation excites me and it also excites me in a world which is a mess because the world is a mess marlene um it's a horrible mess I, i i mean the news reports that that you wake up and read I, I kind of track through um, um, uh, three or four various different news providers and read the news headlines uh, in the morning when I wake up and the news reports are just horrible we live in a horrible fallen world but the joy of the book of Revelation is that God is coming again <laughs> that God is coming again to judge the living and the dead and God is coming again to collect his children and that should give us hope even in the midst of the darkness around us that light will soon pierce through this present darkness that's that's a book title that I read when I was a kid the 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 thing though is um I, I just and and maybe just to say that this is a distinctive in terms of the way that I read the book of Revelation. I do read the book of Revelation with Revelation chapter one verse nineteen as my guide going through it. I, I see that Revelation is speaking about things that have been seen by John, 
things that are, and those are the letters to the seven churches that John faithfully writes down, messages from Jesus to those seven churches, and things that are to take place after that. And I see all of that, things that are to take place after this, as being future um, prophecy uh, that I expect to be fulfilled in a literal way. Now, when I say that, I've got to be a little bit careful. When I say uh, fulfilled in a literal way, obviously there's images and metaphors and things that are even too wonderful for John to describe. Um, I don't, I don't think things will be uh, fulfilled in a wooden literal kind of sense, um, but things will be fulfilled in the same way that prophecy is always fulfilled in the new, in the Old Testament and the New. Um, the Old Testament prophesies out of Egypt. I will. Uh, call my son and it uh, prophesies that um, but lo Bethia Mephrathah though you are small among the clans of Judah out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler of uh, Israel that's uh, Micah chapter 5 verse 2 I think um, uh, the, the, the point is um, prophecy is fulfilled literally even though it's metaphorically described to us what that literal um, uh, fulfillment will look like um, but when I read Revelation I get excited because I, I remember that never mind how dark this world is the winner <laughs> is God the winner is Jesus Christ um, that God ultimately wins the day friends we've reached the top of the I can't believe it's 10 o'clock we've got a question that has come in from uh, Scott uh, Bobby um, related to uh, divorce and uh, Hosea chapter 2 verse 2 looking forward to diving into that Scott thanks for sending it in um, in the meantime we are going to listen to Dr. Tumi I love or love on the cross uh, be with you for the second hour of the show shortly well, friends, welcome back for the second hour of Table Talk with Mark. <laughs> the first hour just flew. It was gone. And uh, I'm just seeing how many questions have come in for the second hour. I'm guessing that we're going to run out of time. Um, but that's okay. I, I'm really enjoying the engagement today. I want to give a shout out to Lester who pointed out to me where the keys of heaven could be found. That's Matthew chapter 16 verse 19. Thank you, Lester. I was like, I, w I was so confused. I, I did go to the right passage and that was uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 18 and 19. Um, but And I'm going to show you where the link is is uh, shortly but thank you so much for pointing out um, Matthew chapter 16 and 19 appreciate the gospel partnership listeners um, so let's turn to Matthew chapter 16 even as I turn there um, I just want to point out that uh, you are listening to Radio Pulpit 657 AM 657 AM and Radio K Pulpit 729 AM. You're with me, Mark Penrith, your host for the remainder of the hour. This is a Bible QA. You are welcome to ask your Bible questions. You can phone into studio. The telephone number has been posted to the um, Facebook page. Um, I will read it out to you shortly as I find it or as Vusi brings it up, whichever one comes through through first uh, you can send in questions directly on facebook under our live stream on our web uh, on our radio pulpit radio console if you just go to the live stream you'll see uh, my face with a blue background and uh, i'm speaking uh, if you type in a question there i get to see them scott bobby I, I see those questions thank you so much for asking them the studio line if you want to phone into the studio right now is 012 883 
0891-2090. It is on the Facebook page. And if you want to WhatsApp, the telephone number is 082-657-2729. Really do enjoy um, your WhatsApp voice notes. I want to encourage you to continue to send those in. Thank you so much for them. And thank you so much for all of those who asked questions in the first hour of the show. I want to extend the conversation regarding to keys just a little bit further um, in the second hour. So in the first hour, we spoke about the keys um, being Jesus Christ. Jesus has the keys. And we take that from Revelation chapter 1. I don't think I belabored the point, but I do think I made the point in um, Revelation chapter 1. Um, now, in Matthew chapter 16, we have a continued conversation regarding the uh, um, uh, 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 this conversation on keys um, it's it's a it's a conversation of Peter Peter and the rest of the disciples are walking with Jesus Christ they're in an area called um, Philippi uh, Caesarea Philippi and um, that uh, they make it Caesarea Philippi just to differentiate it from the other Caesarea which is um, which is a coastal town and he asks his disciples who do people say the son of man is now don't you find it interesting that we find the son of man yeah in Matthew chapter 16 we also found the son of man in Revelation chapter 1 and um, these things are all connected the Bible is one book we use it to interpret itself and they said well some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and some and others say Jeremiah one of the prophets and he said to them but who do you say I am that's the greatest question in all of the world by the way who do you say that Jesus Christ is. Uh, is he to you a teacher? Is he to you a great moral leader? Is he to you a um, uh, just a, a person in history? Or, or what is Jesus to you? Friends, the, the answer to that question will determine, as we read in Revelation chapter 20 and as we read in Revelation chapter 1, will determine your eternal future. Um, well, Jesus answers him, or uh, well, Peter replied and said, you are the Christ. That word Christ means Messiah, it means anointed one. Um, you are the long expected one. You are the one whom God promised through the Old Testament over and over again would come and redeem his people from their sin. You are the Christ. You are the promised seed that would come and strike the serpent's head. You are the promised seed uh, that was a promise made to Eve. You are the promised seed to Abraham who would be a blessing to all the nations. You are the promised seed to David who would sit on his throne. You are the scarlet thread which runs through all of the Old Testament. You are the Christ. Not only that, um, Peter, and it's rather staggering at this stage of Christ's ministry, goes on and says, you are the son of the living God. Now this idea of sonship is, a, is an immense thing. Uh, it's for this reason that the Jews were trying to kill Jesus because he was calling himself the son of God and they realized that that made him equal with God. That was a claim to divinity. It was a claim to be of the same essence of God. Uh, as the as the creedal statement would say god from god and light from light true god from true god begotten and not made of one being with the father you are the son of the living god well 
It's a staggeringly enough confession from Peter that Jesus stops and answers and says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, uh, that Bar-Jonah, Bar, uh, just uh, of, uh, son of Jonah, Simon's father was Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Maybe just to, maybe just to point out that in order to be saved, we must see Jesus Christ for who he is. We must see him as the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. We must see him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. We must see him as Emmanuel, God with us. We must see him as king of kings and lord of lords. That idea of king of kings means king above every king um, the kingship of God and Lord of Lords really uh, if you go to um, Philippians chapter 2 and you read that passage it's a quote um, from the Old Testament which is a reference to Yahweh um, Lord of Lords Yahweh God um, we must see him as um, high and lifted up uh, by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 we, we must see him as the seeds that I have previously spoken about and in order to see Jesus as that it needs to be revealed to us divinely the Holy Spirit needs to open up our eyes that's why salvation is such a miracle you think of the day of Pentecost right there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind there were divided tongues of fire people spoke in languages known to men but you know what the greatest miracle on the day of Pentecost was it was those 3,000 people who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior In, in fact it was it was 3,000 individual amazing God-ordained miracles. Each of those an absolute startling divine revelation that they saw in the preaching of Peter, the person of Jesus Christ, and saw him as their Savior. Their eyes were opened. The Holy Spirit made them come alive. You can read about that in Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus here says that, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail about it, uh, will not prevail against it. I, I love this declaration because it's a, de- a declaration of triumph for the church. You know, we came through COVID and a lot of churches were bemoaning the fact that not everyone had come back, bemoaning the realities of living in a world where the economy is constricted and restrained and finances aren't what they what they were in the past, um, uh, struggling with, the, with a lot of you know very real concerns and yet friends (laughs) the church will ultimately be be triumphant and you want to know why because Jesus said it would he says I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it the church belongs to Jesus he owns her I will build my church and not only that and Jesus Christ is the one that's actually doing the work he builds her I will build my church he's making sure that his bride is being built um, stone upon stone <laughs> um, person by person his bride is being prepared to be presented to him but not only that Jesus Christ himself will protect her I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it COVID comes and COVID goes. Persecution comes and persecution goes. Heretics come and heretics go. But the Church of Christ stands and it stands for this reason. She is being built by Jesus Christ himself. And our divine God guarantees her ultimate success. It is an amazing thing. Verse 19. 
and this was the <laughs> this was the verse I was looking for. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Um, you know, we can spend some time talking about Peter and his name change here, Little Rock, Big Rock. We can talk about all of those various different things. But yeah, we've got a discussion around keys and a discussion about Jesus giving keys of the kingdom of heaven to Peter. And this 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 declaration that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed on heaven uh, in heaven and by the way peter's not perfect <laughs> he definitely isn't um just the the very next verse um jesus tells him that uh, he's got to go up to jerusalem and he's going to suffer and be killed on the third day and be raised and peter takes him aside and, and rebukes him and says hey listen yeah stop having that conversation far be it from you lord that this should ever happen to you and jesus turns to peter and says get behind me satan you hindrance to me um for you are not setting your mind on the things of god but on the things of man peter's not perfect but in his proclamation in his declaration of Jesus as the Christ the son of the living God in this he is commended in Matthew chapter 16 and thank you so much uh, Lester for pointing us there because there we have the discussion the second discussion of keys you remember I said I, I knew it was there I just couldn't find it that there are two sets there's two discussions on keys the first one is Jesus Jesus has the keys to heaven and hell uh, but now in Matthew we have this discussion about keys as well and and Jesus giving these keys to Peter and what does this possibly mean I'm fairly certain interpretively that the answer is in this discussion of what Peter might do with the keys I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven well now armed with that discussion now we go um, to Matthew uh, chapter um, uh, 18 and we read this discussion about church discipline and yeah Jesus uses the same language and he uses the same language for um for for our benefit so that we can know how this this passage in Matthew chapter 16 is applied if your brother sins against you in other words you, you, you someone sinned against you or you become aware of somebody's sin uh, it's difficult to know exactly uh, how how um general um, th this ought to be taken but you to go and tell him his fault um, between you and him alone in other words you're not to hear of someone's sin or experience someone's sin and then share it with the nation you know go and tell everyone at the prayer meeting on Sunday morning <laughs> what so and so did that's not the way that we as Christians handle sin no no rather we go one and one and we engage with the person who has sinned against us if he listens this is why we do it because if he listens to you you've gained your brother I mean praise the Lord he's turned from his son and you've been involved in that process far better than gossip or slander by the way upon which you'll be judged um, to be involved in the restoration of another believer upon which you'll be celebrated um, so that would be verse 15 verse 16 of chapter 18 but if he does not listen amen this guy loves his son uh, and he's not going to say sorry if he does not listen 
take one or two others along with you that every charge may, may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now I think that this is just excellent, excellent words by Jesus Christ. And it's really a, 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 a reference to Old Testament law where everything needed to be established by two or three witnesses. And so if a person has sinned against you, um, if you have become aware of someone's sin, um, go and address it yourself. But you know what? If they refuse to um, repent, if they refuse to turn, then take a couple of other people. This might be the point of time that you need to get your Bible study leader or a an elder, a, a pastor at your local church involved in this 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 conversation, um, so that they can listen carefully to what the person is saying, so they can hear, listen carefully to what you are saying, and so that the matter may be judged. That you might have counsel. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you need counsel to say no, no, no. Uh, turn away from this. This isn't sin. You've misunderstood uh, what's going on. Or, or maybe you. Your brother is wrong and he can then hear um, from not just you but from others as well that they must turn away from their sin but if he refuses to listen to them if he's unrepentant and this he could be a she as well obviously tell it to the church why would you tell it to the church well because the church then gets involved in a sinning saints life they, they get involved in calling them away from their sin they get involved in encouraging them away from their sin calling them away from their sin reminding them who their first love is but if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, then consider them unsaved. Whereas previously, you, the church, and by the way, the, this is a use, uh, uh, one of the first uses of the church in the Gospels, the first use of the uh, uh, in the Gospels, Ecclesia, the, the assembled, the called out ones. But if he refuses to listen to the church, then then you can no longer, as a church, say that this person is saved you, they can no longer be a church member for instance because they are in unrepentant sin they, they are not acting as a redeemed ought to act and um, the redeemed ought to hear of their sin it should cut them to the heart and they should confess their sin and turn repent turn away from their sin walk in a different direction but for the person who refuses well, for the person who is an unrepentant sin, they're bearing the marks of a person who is unsaved. Well, you can't affirm their salvation. You can't give them the. You can't hold out the right hand of fellowship and tell the watching world that they are a member of this church, that they enjoy the the rights and the responsibilities of member, and that you affirm their salvation testimony. No, their salvation testimony now is in question. Um, the Bible tells us, even as individuals, to examine ourselves and to make sure that the truth is in us. Um, but it tells us as churches that we are to take the testimony of those who profess salvation in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior that are found in our midst very, very seriously. Then Jesus says, and this is why we've gone through that portion of Scripture, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Can you see that that is exactly the same words that Jesus said to Peter? And so now we understand that 
the keys to heaven that Peter was speak that Jesus was speaking about in Matthew chapter 16 is related to what Jesus is speaking about in Matthew chapter 18 and what's he speaking about he's speaking about corporate discipline he's speaking about church discipline he's speaking about the church um, coming together and uh, under grave concern not glibly um, but having taken on bearing the weight of responsibility of their decision no longer professing or confessing or affirming or validating the testimony of one which they previously validated a person which they previously considered as part of the church a believer in 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 every way and jesus is saying even as you come together to do that as a church under christ uh, what you decide is a recognized decision now let me just say i i don't believe that the church has the ability to remove someone's salvation and um, what you're doing is you're removing the validation that you were previously giving uh, the conf- confessional profession of a person's faith that's what you are doing but friends as far as that is a true decision um, in other words you're removing you're unvalidating you're removing a previous validation from a person who professed Christ and was a member of the church and now they're no longer a member of the church um, uh, visible uh, a, a local body of believers if that in fact is an accurate reflection that they no longer love Jesus well that certainly is affirmed both in heaven and on earth verse 19 again I say to you if two or three agree on earth about anything they ask it will be done for them by my father in heaven again this is related to church discipline this isn't related to prayer this isn't related to your small prayer group that gathers together on a Friday morning three of you standing in a circle and then you say whatever we say on earth um, whatever we done uh, will be done by our father in heaven and the next verse verse 20 for where two or three are gathered in my name there I am among you that's not talking about your small prayer group this is talking about church discipline this is talking about when the congregation meets collectively and comes to a decision on a person who is unrepentant and it is all tied together so now the question is who has the keys in this passage the answer in this passage is that the keys are the church it is the church peter um as uh, as reflected in verse 18 his profession his confession became the foundation of the church and in chapter 18 uh, the church is exercising church discipline and again we have the same language the same key language the same opening and closing language loosing and shutting language um, and so the custodians of the church wasn't peter and then by peter by apostolic succession uh, to pope after pope after pope no the confession peter's confession was the establishment of the church and the keys belong to the church and that would be the church gathered under the lordship of christ um, demonstrated in chapter 18 verse 15 to 19 i just want to say lester thank you so much for saving my bacon and taking me back to matthew chapter 16 i really appreciate that um and i appreciate you long time listener so thank you so much uh, lester does also say that you must pray for rain it's uh, dry and warm you know I, I was I actually went to a to a, a, an old friend I'm gonna say friend 
Molly's more than a friend. Uh, she's she's a saint. I I, I love her, uh, and I mean that in the in in the sister sense. She's she's in Christ and she loves Jesus. And and uh, I went and I, I visited her um, uh, this week and uh, and and spent some time with her and her family, just praying and encouraging her. And uh, I read um, from the the last chapter of the book of James where it speaks about the sick and speaks about um, what I think is a person actually in depression just in terms of the context of the end of the book of James and um, but then it talks about praying the elders praying anointing them with 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 oil and the example that is given is the example of Elijah who prayed for rain and well he first prayed that the the heavens might be shut up and then later he prayed that the heavens might be opened and it rained you know three years it was closed and then and then it rained and rained abundantly um friends those of you who are believers do pray for rain we we need rain up in Gauteng my sinuses are are grotty (laughs) at this stage um Scott I realize that you had a question I've lost your question I'm going to go back and find it um but I do see a comment I will meteorites be hitting the earth in the last days the depictions of falling stars fire brimstone suggest such um yes I think um even though much of revelation is written in met in metaphor uh, it seems very clear as you read through the bowls and the trumpets and the seals as things get broken and 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 blown and um you see worldwide um just absolute mess as uh, as there's massive catastrophe and in in some cases up to one third of the earth's population being killed in in cataclysmic events it'll be a very very scary time Good morning, Mark and team, says Penny. Just joined due to load shedding again. Uh, Thanks, Penny. Uh, Lovely to be with you. I also want uh, to comment on the statement of Jesus saying, Upon this rock I will build my church, Penny says. For a long time I was under the wrong teaching that the rock referred to Peter. It does not. If you look at verse 16 uh, uh, of Matthew 16, it's now clear to me that he builds his church on the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and that it is upon the rock of this truth that the church is built. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Yes, Penny, absolutely. It's the profession. It's the confession of Peter upon which Jesus Christ, um, upon which the church is built. Um, Marlene says, learning a lot this morning. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Thanks for your encouragement, Marlene. Uh, this really is a team sport this morning, so thank you, team. Uh, Tinker says, uh, morning, Mark. There was such a beautiful song playing just now. Thanks, Tinker, for that. Um, Teresa asks a question in three parts, and they are difficult difficult questions this morning mainly because they're they're primarily application questions rather than exegetical questions but uh, Teresa I do want to say thanks very much for asking them they come from 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17 to 22 let me read 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17 to 22 to you let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they so that the rest may stand in fear in the presence of god and of jesus christ and of the elect angels i charge you to keep these rules without prejudice uh, without pre, pre, prejudging um doing nothing from partiality do not be hasty in the laying on of hands nor take part in the sin of others 
keep yourselves pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Oh, that's verse 23. That's not as far as you wanted to go. Maybe someone else has a question about verse 23. Thanks for opening up that can of worms, Teresa. Uh, you just were looking at verse 17 to verse 22. You come with uh, three questions. Firstly, how can believers tell if elders are worthy of double honor? And what are what are we? Uh, and that we are not having our ears tickled. Well, that is a marvelous question, uh, Teresa. How can we know that elders are worthy of double honor and that we are not having our ears tickled? I think what you'd have to do is you'd have to take in the pull in the whole of Scripture, what Scripture has to say about Scripture. Uh, in terms of that question, you'd go to the book of Peter, which talks about false teachers. You'd go to the book of Jude, which talks about false teachers. You'd go to the book of 2 Timothy, which talks about false teachers. And you'd look at, at what a false teacher, an ear tickler looks like. Um, um, you'd look at the nature, how money hungry and power hungry and sometimes carnal hungry they are. And you'd look at the man in front of you and you'd say, uh, is he characterized by these kinds of traits? Then you'd also go and take a look at what Jesus and Paul and both the Old Testament and the New Testament says about the man of God, the, the man who teaches other people, um, how studious they are, how they devote themselves to scripture, how how seriously they take the responsibility and how excellently they do it. And you would you would look at all of those kinds of criteria both the negative is this person tickler and the positive is this person rightly dividing the word um, and, and there I'm thinking of 2 Timothy 2.15 I think um, uh, you'd look at those passages of scripture and based on that you'd make the, the you'd discern is this person worthy of double honor your second question is what type of sin would need the elders to be rebuked publicly seeing that we can never be sinless. Is this what Paul did to Peter or was Paul wrong? No, Paul definitely wasn't wrong. Uh, what you're describing there, I'm fairly certain, is um, is a conversation which happens in, and it might be worth going there, Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, um, uh, Paul is speaking about a rather tumultuous relationship with Peter. He starts off by saying that he went and, and visited uh, Peter and uh, how Peter had been entrusted with the gospel um, to the circumcised that would be to the Jews in verse 7 um, and uh, he talks about the apostolic ministry having been given to Peter in verse 8 um, and to himself in verse 8 but Peter to the Jews or to the circumcised and Paul to the Gentiles and then in verse 11 there is this fascinating portion of dialogue it says but when Cephas now that's Peter that's the other name for Peter when Cephas came to Antioch um, and uh, this Antioch by the way is um, Antioch in Syria it is where the, the the weight of the church the new church the 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 the, the baby church had had moved from Jerusalem to Antioch in Syria during the persecution as the church was forced out of Jerusalem it spilt into Judea and Samaria into the countrysides around they went taking making proclamation and taking the gospel message with them that is Acts chapter 8 eventually um, the gospel comes to Antioch and in Antioch an incredibly strong church is planted it's a cosmopolitan church it is a multi-ethnic church we read about the the elders of the church and they are a diverse set of men made up of Africans and made up of folk from um, uh, the um, 
the area around Mesopotamia made up of uh, former Jews, made up of um, kind of aristocracy and, and folk that weren't um, fascinating cosmopolitan multi-ethnic church leadership. Um, but our text that we're looking at right now is Galatians chapter 2. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. In other words, I, I stood face to face against him. Why? Because he stood condemned. In other words, Peter sometimes got it wrong. He got it wrong just after that profession of Jesus being the Christ. Um, and Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. Turns out that Paul says, hey, Peter got it wrong in Antioch as well. Why? Uh, what happened? What were the details? In verse 12, for before certain men came from James, James is the head of the Jerusalem church at this point, um, and um, uh, yeah, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, um, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, fearing those who were from the Jews, um, uh, the, the Jewish Christians who were saying, hey, listen, yeah, you need to be careful what you eat. You need to be careful who you hang out with. Jews and Gentiles don't mix. Um, it seems that they were saying, yeah, they certainly were saying, that Jews don't eat bacon and so Christians don't eat bacon and so Peter you ought not to be eat, eating bacon in fact don't even sit at the table with people that eat bacon now now Paul rebukes Peter to his face for this and the rest of the Jews in verse 13 acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas that son of encouragement you know Barnabas is fantastic we get introduced to him at the end of the the book or at the end of the book at the end of the chapter 4 in the book of Acts um, but even Barnabas the son of encouragement um, was uh, was with Peter in this uh, in this Matthew he was led astray by the hypocrisy but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel what's the truth of the gospel the truth of the gospel is Jesus doesn't care if you're black, white, pink or blue. <laughs> Jesus wants you to put your faith and your trust in him. The gospel was for the Israelites and for their children and their children's children and for all that were far off. You can read about that in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Um, Peter later says in the book of Acts in chapters 10 and 11, I'm fairly certain when he's speaking to the Roman centurion who comes to faith, he says, I understand that God does not show partiality, but Peter forgot. <laughs> and then Peter separated himself from that Gentile whom God did not show partiality to and, uh, and spent some time with him. And so Paul correctly rebuked him to his face, which means even apostles, even apostles could get it wrong and even apostles sometimes needed to be rebuked. Now, Teresa's question, there was a bit of a side, a bit of a side note. Um, but what kind of sin, what type of sin would need the elders to be rebuked publicly? Because the text in front of us, which is 1 Timothy chapter 5, says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, um, Teresa, maybe just to explain simply, um, we actually just happened in the providence of God to have looked at Matthew chapter 18. And you'll remember in Matthew chapter 18, if your brother sins against you, what are you to do if he does not listen, if he remains unrepentant? Well, you to take how many? Two or three yeah, that's right two or three witnesses along with you um, and you to go back with him and plead with him um, to repent and if he still doesn't listen well what are you to do you to take it to the church and if he won't even listen to the church well then he gets known as a, um, a gentile or a tax collector well it turns out that we treat our elders the same way that we treat everybody else on the bus that 
um, for those who persist in sin, um, they are to be um, uh, charges are to be accepted. Um, by them on the evidence of two or three witnesses. In other words, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. If church discipline describes the way that we are to engage with believers in the church, it describes the way that we are to engage with elders in the church. Even those who are in authority are under the same law, the same rules as everyone else. Now, when it comes to what kind of sin church discipline covers, it doesn't just cover big sins, you know, sex outside of marriage or adultery or divorce. Those are kind of the things that we we generally expect excommunication to happen. In, in actual fact, um, church discipline is for all unrepentant sin. For all unrepentant We are to take sin seriously. We don't take sin seriously enough in our world today we just don't we we wink at sin i think the king james would say god doesn't wink at our sin and we ought not to wink at our sin either we need to take sin seriously and so any unrepentant sin ultimately can become a matter of church discipline now the way that that kind of shakes out ought to be in the elders of the church ought to be involved in that because there's much wisdom in terms of the time frames there's much wisdom in terms of um how repentance is to be measured and and all of those kinds of things and that's precisely why god gives the church elders um and so we don't rush to church discipline but it turns out what's good for the goose is good for the gander if it's good for church members it's good for church elders i hope that answers your second question Teresa. thank you so much for asking it the third question is how do we tell if partiality has taken place and that hands have not been laying on too quickly i think that's actually two separate questions because i read them in two separate ways so in the presence of god uh, and of jesus christ and of the elect angels i charge you to keep these rules without prejudging doing nothing from partiality i would take verse 21 to be attached to verse um, 19 and 20 in other words do not admit a charge against an elder except by the evidence of two or three witnesses belongs with that idea of partiality in other words don't show partiality just because a person is an elder doesn't mean that you treat him differently to a person who's a deacon or who's a member of the church you treat them the same elders are sheep pastors are sheep <laughs> um, we are under shepherds of the great shepherd but we smell like sheep because we are sheep we're, we're part of the flock and so we are not to treat them with partiality i hope that helps you even in your third question however your third question therefore came in two parts the one part actually rightly belonged with your second question the second part is um don't lay on hands too quickly how do we know that we haven't laid on hands too quickly well this becomes a matter i think of of discretion from church to church I have seen that some churches take nominations for elders and then they think about that over a period of a couple of weeks. The way that I've traditionally done this is I will identify a man that I think um, has the kinds of qualifications that would make him elder elder appropriate and I will work with him for a period of a year sometimes two years and um, Teresa I know the elders of your church each one of them went through this process exactly like what I'm describing now um, and then over that period of time I will evaluate them um, myself and the other elders will get the opportunity to evaluate them we'll invite them to elder meetings they'll engage they'll interact we'll listen to the way that they apply themselves in in issues that are difficult and we'll listen to 
to you do they have the sound of wisdom in them and we will then present their names to the church and on presenting their names to the church I've never laid hands on anyone faster than a year I think I think the the fastest period of of laying hands on a person has been a year just waiting a year um, that the church might interact with them uh, each congregational meeting at a number of uh, Sunday services talking about um, about their faith and um, and asking people to evaluate them the average um, elder that we laid hands on uh, at the church that you attend Teresa was two years so two years of speaking to the church about them uh, the church getting to know them not just as a member but as a potential elder before we Brought their names to the church for confirmation. Um, I hope that that helps. Um, Ingrid says, "Good morning, Pastor Mark. Listening from Springs, member of Springs Baptist Church. Praise the Lord. That's my friend Michael Lear uh, out there. Uh, give a shout out to Michael. Give him a big hug because I can't give him a big hug. Uh, thank you for loading the podcast. Much appreciated and blessings and abundance. Ingrid, thank you for." Reminding me last week, I really do appreciate it. And uh, this week, I will try and catch up all of them this afternoon. I have a couple of meetings uh, this afternoon, and I have a sermon to prepare for Sunday evening. But I am looking forward to putting the rest of the podcasts on. Um, appreciate your engagements and interactions, uh, Ingrid. Um, folk, we're getting close to the end of... Uh, of uh, this morning I can't believe that the second hour has shot by so quickly uh, incredible when we're having fun and talking about the person of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior really did enjoy it um, and uh, appreciate your engagements your interactions and this morning even you're pointing out uh, passages of scripture that I could appeal to and go to as we were building our argument towards the key so thank you so much for that Maybe just to say in closing, friends, that um, uh, this morning we have um, engaged in the most weightiest of conversations, and that is the judgment that is to come. For those of you who are believers, I, I really believe that whenever we speak about the judgment, our, our minds, our hearts should flash to our friends and to our family that are in peril because they have not yet placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so the the words of the Great Commission um, ought to ring in our ears as we think of that judgment. We ought to immediately be reminded that Jesus said to his church, go, therefore, and make disciples. The, the main verb there is make disciples. That's the job that we're to do is make disciples. By hook or by crook, that's what we ought to set ourselves to, to do. But the way that we are to do that is by going um, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Let me encourage you, believer, as you listen in today, maybe, I'm hoping, you have been stirred to speak about Jesus to your family and your friends. If that is the case, remember that you are under command to do so. So I'm giving you a little bit of further exhortation, even as I've encouraged you. But now let me encourage you. Jesus says, even as you go about this great and glorious task of being involved in gospel proclamation, that he will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise God for Jesus Christ and praise 
God that God is with us um, the Holy Spirit even now uh, is with us he is in us he is guiding us into truth and guarding us from error and uh, and 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 helping us not just to understand his word but to do his word my encouragement to you is to be a doer of God's word not a not a merely a hearer our prayers each week are out to all the elders and to the deacons who hold the line in local churches as well as to our missionaries who serve in foreign fields sent out by South African churches um, with the gospel message to foreign lands. Our prayers and much respect goes to first responders, to our police force who does a valiant task in our country, to our defence force working with limited budget and means and to those who dispense justice in our country whatever role uh, you are in um, in the judiciary we're grateful for you and our prayers do go out for you to firefighters and to paramedics to our nation's nurses and medical personnel as well as to educators that's teachers and uh, and teaching staff and those that are involved in education as well as to correctional service officers and um, we're grateful for those who work in our country and who execute their duty with excellence and we pray that the Lord would strengthen your arm as you go about serving him wherever he might have placed you you've been listening to table talk with me your host mark we're going to be going to news now and so until next week friday do you walk wisely do live holy and do testify zealously.